Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to continue our Best of the Doctor series by reviewing the Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, Episode 7, Unnatural Selection, which features Dr. Catherine Pulaski, the Chief Medical Officer aboard the USS Enterprise. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies. Starting with none other than who's starting Cal Jones. How you doing, man? I am tired and I am here and I'm hoping you guys will reignite my brain. I need reigniting. So, yes, glad to be here. So welcome. Oh, man, it started off like one of those weeks for me, too, man. I have a slight headache, but I'm not going to complain. You're tired. I have a slight headache. We're not going to complain. We're going to we're going to truck along and, and see what we can do for this review. And we'll be leaning on the shoulders, the broad shoulders of the Trek storian, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I don't know if I should take offense to the broad shoulders. Is that a fat joke? That's a strong joke. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, man, I'm good, man. I'm glad to be here with you guys again. Um, I hate that you guys are starting the week off bumpy, but hey, man, when you talk about trick, doesn't it just brighten your day just a little bit? Well, we'll, we'll see if, if Pulaski can uh, brighten up. Uh, <laughs> if that's what you're counting on. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Of course, last week we reviewed the TOS episode, Mary. This week, Unnatural Selection. And next, we'll be doing another TNG episode, Remember Me, which should be interesting, featuring Dr. Crusher, of course, Beverly Crusher. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, please leave a review and also subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are currently listening on to make sure you don't miss an episode. And those reviews really help guys. So if you can do it on iTunes, we will be very, very gracious of that. So we'll get right into our review of Star Trek The Next Generation Unnatural Selection. Unnatural Selection is the seventh episode of the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It is written by John Mason and Mike Gray and directed by Paul Lynch. The episode was first broadcast on January the 30th, 1989. The Enterprise encounters a Starfleet supply ship where everyone has died from rapid aging. They must find the cause before scientists on a research colony suffer the same fate. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we turn to Cal Jones for our beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. What do you have for us, Cal? So this one's going to be short and sweet tonight. So here we go. Perception is such a tricky thing. Light bulb moment, you see. Shedding a light on the truth. Since a doctor is not the, the absence of one surpassed the presence of any and another. Hmm. Interesting. You got all deep on me again. I got, I got deep. Got, my, got my brain Short hurting. but deep. <laughs> you're, you're not helping my headache. <laughs> Shall I repeat again? Yeah, encore. To let it sink in. Encore performance. All right, here we go. Perception is such a tricky thing. Light bulb moment, you see. Shedding a light on the truth. Since a doctor is not thee, the absence of one surpassed the presence of any and another. Interesting. So if we want to, we can recap at the end and I'll tell you what all that means. All right. All right. We wait with bated breath. John, what are your overall thoughts of the episode, man? Oh, man. I, uh, you know, I like you guys know, I've been going through TNG again. And before I did that, I just kind of had a not so fondness of Dr. Pulaski. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not a surprise, I'm sure. But as I went through the only season she was a part of, uh, I started to kind of develop a liking to her. And this episode, and there's a couple others, but this one primarily kind of gave me a better insight into her. Um, and it kind of is one particular scene that kind of elevated her a little bit in my mind. So I really liked it. Uh, but it was a good premise and surprisingly tied into lightly the last review we did yeah. with McCoy. And 
And just if we get to the uh, Dr. Bashir, it ties into that episode a little bit. So hmm. now I'm intrigued because I don't remember the <laughs> Dr. Bashir episode completely. So that would be awesome. Um, Kyle, did you have any additional thoughts? Yes, I do. So I will echo everything Jonathan just said. I enjoyed this episode and I know we'll get into it more, but let's just say I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, uh, for me, I think I enjoyed it. I I didn't love it. I have to say I did not love it. Um, I had a few issues with maybe the framing Picard had around the episode at the very beginning. And and um, other than that, I thought it was a good story. A again, like you mentioned, John, kind of mirrors what we, in some ways, what we what we reviewed with Mary is another aging thing, which <laughs> which is interesting. So um, <laughs> and and also maybe we'll, we'll dive into it, but maybe some maybe we can talk a little bit about the the genetics or the eugenics part of it, which I was kind of shocked was going on. But but we'll get into all of that. So in the episode, we see the new chief medical officer of the Enterprise walk the fine line between her duty as a Starfleet officer against her dedication to the health of a healer. Uh, Dr. Catherine Pulaski risk it all to save a research station that seems to care more about the research subjects than the implications of of trying to play God. (laughs) We'll get into all of that. But first off, guys, I know that Picard's questioning of Pulaski's dedication as doctor versus her judgment in her duty to Starfleet was was kind of a setup that they had for the episode to kind of mirror what she'd do in said episode. But why would he hire her as and, and, and maybe, John, you can help me out here because I think the captain does the, the, the chief officer assignments. But why would he bring her on as chief medical officer? If he had these doubts that he kind of expresses at the very, very beginning of the episode. So, uh, again, like in the Enterprise episode, there is a lot of context that you're missing if you hadn't recently gone through this uh, season. And part of that is well, where they, did, they, so, they did renew Gates McFadden contract. <laughs> <Don't you? laughs> yeah. uh, actually, that was a. Well, I maybe. I, yeah, <laughs> that probably was the overall. But in the storyline, so Dr. Crusher accepted a position at Starfleet Medical, which left him with an open chief medical officer spot. Once that spot became open, Dr. Pulaski had studied. She, she was like obsessed with Jean-Luc Picard. Like she loved him. She absolutely loved him. And that was one of her dreams to serve on the Enterprise with him. When she heard that position opened up, she immediately applied for a transfer. Uh, we learned through a previous episode when she was the only one that could perform the operation to save Picard's life when he had to have a heart transplant. Yep. Yep. Um, you also learn in another episode, she was one of the people that created this thing where you can erase particular parts of people's memories. And there's a spot in this episode that kind of shows her prowess as a medical professional. So all that being said, I don't think Picard really knew her personally, but based on her qualifications and the need, he accepted that transfer. Mm. And you'll see in previous episodes, as it goes on, he starts learning her attitude, I guess you lack a better term. (laughs) (laughs) And she just, she, it it just kind of goes against what he's accustomed to. And that's kind of what led him to this questioning you see at the beginning of this episode. Great recap, but I have a question, and this is probably one that we are not going to be able to answer, but it's, and it's more meta than it is in story. But considering that these are back during the days when we had 22, 24 episodes per season, not like it is now, where we have 10, 15, 16 a season that are made months, if not a year in advance. Back then, you know, I'm curious to know how far ahead in the filming they were of actually filming and those being brought to screen. And the reason I ask that question is I find it really interesting that we begin an episode, seven episodes into the season, where to me, it sounded like 
they were trying to convince this they are trying to convince the audience, not mm. themselves, that this doctor is up to stuff, you know, that they that this doctor should be there. So I took it more so as not Picard asking the question, but they using Picard to ask the question. That is such a great point um, where Picard is maybe in some ways act, acting as a surrogate to us, the audience. Yes. A, a, a great point, because honestly, you know, even me coming back all these years later and revisiting these episodes, I was the same way. I'm like, convince me. She gets on my nerves. And honestly, I have to be completely honest. If not for the um, the TOS episodes we saw with 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 the actor in it, I probably still wouldn't like Pulaski as much. <laughs> I mean, just just to be quite honest, um, that is what made me breathe again. Uh, that is what made me uh, the episode <laughs> with the oars. I forget the name of it, but that's what made me really like her as an actor. So me coming back to this, I could kind of, you know, subdue. Uh, what I feel about her as far as her brashness, which we do kind of get into a little bit in this episode, but I kind of was able to subdue that and just enjoy her more for who she really is. And and you're totally right. That's what Picard is actually doing. Um, asking, asking that question for us, the audience, because let me, let me add this, this too real quick. Cause thinking the fact of today, when any one of the three of us want to make, a complaint. We go to Twitter, we go to Facebook, we go to the website, et cetera, and so forth. These are the days where if you and I and the three of us had a complaint, we wrote a letter, we mailed it, it stood in a pile or sat in a pile to someone read it, et cetera, and so forth. This letter campaign that was partly responsible for bringing Beverly Crusher back in the next season would have already started happening. So again, that makes me wonder mm. another reason why seven episodes in, we're still trying to convince the audience. So Memory Alpha, so I did a quick look up on Memory Alpha earlier. And so, and yes, I think uh, I think it kind of spurred from audience not really liking her, uh, just didn't seem right. And then you have to question, you know, was it the fact that we were just so attached to Beverly Crusher? We wanted her back. Would anybody feel that? Anyway, that's one question. But Rick Berman also commented that it just never really quite worked with Pulaski. It just never solidified. And not only he, but the rest of the TNG staff agreed with that assessment. And that was probably because of the negative reaction from the audience. But also... Uh, it mentions that Diane Alder was really not interested in continuing as well. Mm. Uh, and that may have kind of portrayed on the screen as such. But and her reason for not wanting to continue was that she found that the mythos of TNG was such a technology based setting with little focus compared to TOS. Mm, interesting. She interesting. felt she felt that TNG lacked, I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing and trying to come up with my own assumption of it, but what she's saying, but kind of seems like she's saying it just, it didn't focus enough on the character development. And, well, I, I can, I can kind of agree with that. I mean, if you look at some of the episodes in um, TOS versus again, I, I do think TNG is more, is where Star Trek starts to get more, even though it's Trek no babble, it, it gets more into its science lore versus maybe some of the episodes in TOS. You can go anywhere from sciencey to fantasy like to, you know, um, Twilight Zone esque. You know, um, it definitely feels like it's a wider range of types of episodes in TNG. I mean, in uh, TOS versus probably in, in you know, I agree with a more and with Diana, more science based. Um, TNG and Star Trek going forward for for that matter. Um, so yeah, I can agree with that assessment 100%. And also maybe another issue also stated on Memory Alpha that Gene Roddenberry kind of wanted her in this role and wanted her to kind of portray this role as Dr. McCoy in TOS. Which she does so it, 100%. <laughs> right. And even down to the little almost playful, almost mean 
banter with data you know it's kind of reminiscent of uh mccoy and spock yes but oh and that kind of got on my nerves and i guess i could just say <laughs> it now to me where mccoy can get away with that is because he had so many he can get away with being you know straightforward and almost mean because he had so many fun comedic moments that kind of equals it out if that makes any sense yeah but from Pulaski, I don't feel like she ever had those fun, you know, our, our three principal characters on TOS having a fun banter by the end of the episode. I don't feel like we ever get that with Pulaski. No, and it, it and it almost it kind of it bothered me as well because it just didn't. You know, McCoy always came off as exactly playful banner. You know, he's just kind of making fun of him all the time, but you can tell it was a appreciation and respect there but Pulaski and Pulaski kind of treated Data like a lower life form mm. even though he's all intents purposes is a better life form yeah so so let me add something to that so uh, I agree with everything you guys just said but to add to that with McCoy McCoy was there from the very beginning so when you first start seeing the characters come together that are in the original series and you've got McCoy doing the things that McCoy did he did that from the very beginning yeah go to TNG you see in the first season a different dynamic with the ship's doctor then in season two you come and you have this person who is completely different and what that does, and I've read this one time, long time ago, many, many, many years ago, about recasting characters on television, and it was showing different characters that never worked. And it seemed like every time you had a new character come in, the, and the characters that are surrounding that character does not like that character you're pretty much dooming the audience to dislike the character, too. Yeah. So right. if you've got her mistreating a character like Data that that the fans have come to love, they see that as, how dare you mistreat Data? Whereas yeah. if she would have done that from the very beginning, you would have just gone, oh, that's just Dr. Pulaski. <laughs> you're absolutely right. right. And, and, Absolutely and, right. And I have to give, um, I, I guess it was Roddenberry's decision to bring her on. A, a good a good choice if you had to bring in somebody um, to fill in this precious role, bring in somebody that was actually Diana, who was actually on TOS and who fans probably love. You know, that's a bit of connective tissue from one series to another. But honestly, if you just look at the you look at the full scope of the TNG cast. I mean, you, you got a 16 year old boy, you have an Android. She still sticks out as like the the oddball in the group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let me add this real, real quick while we're on the subject. There is uh, something that I also read. I don't think it was Memory Alpha, but it was uh, maybe Wikipedia where I was looking at why Crusher left and why Crusher came back. There was, I believe, the head writer of series one didn't like the character of Crusher. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, Gates McFadden. It was the character that I, from what I read, oh. and that once he was gone, then they jumped at, you know, the, you had the letter writing campaign and Jean-Luc's, uh, Patrick Stewart and somebody else basically went to Gates McFadden and asked her, you know, would you come back? So I think it had to be a little bit of arm twisting to get her to come back. Yeah, and I think I'm glad it did. I think know? she had I mean, had a baby too during that time. I yeah, she did. I think hmm. she was. Matter of fact, from listening to her uh, new podcast, um, I mean, she mentions as such as the rigors of having a child and working on that Star Trek cast. It was a bit of a challenge, to say the least. Hmm. So it, do you it, mind if I ask you guys a question real quick before we get back into the story? Yeah. And this is kind of relating to the story. Did they ever explain, speaking of a 16-year-old boy, why the 16-year-old boy didn't go with his mother to Starfleet, you know, to, to Starfleet headquarters when she left? Why Did they ever explain why? And Jonathan, you may can answer this since you've just been watching it. Why he stayed? I think that was addressed. It was. And I don't remember I, if I'm not mistaken, he just didn't want to turn down the 
experience he would have gotten on the Enterprise leading up to the Starfleet Academy. That was his ultimate goal to get to Starfleet Academy. And to get that experience out there in the real world on the flagship of the Federation, like he couldn't pass that up. Like go back home with mom. You wouldn't have that. Gotcha. Yeah. And you have to remember by this point, um, Wesley is like a little badass on that ship. He he saved the ship <laughs> once and he, right. he's like the kid genius guy. So, yeah, I could I could see him staying around. And you see on a later episode that I actually just watched in the fourth season, uh, he and Picard get a crash on a away mission. Oh, so good. But yeah, Picard's at near death and Wesley admits to him that like his only purpose for being pursuing Starfleet as much as he did was to make Picard proud of him. Such a great episode. Yeah. Picard's approval meant everything to Wesley. Mm. And and just to uh, before we move on, just the the comparisons to Pulaski to Dr. McCoy. And we see this in the episode, but the dislike of transporters or the transporter phobia that that's a <laughs> that's a bones thing. Definitely. Yeah. So let's let's hit the setup of the story real quick. Uh, we start with the Enterprise en route to Starbase India and for an, an some imperative mission that Picard sees is going to be a great opportunity for Dr. Pulaski. So we get the scramble message from the USS Landry. The Enterprise moves in intercept. Their hills aren't answered, but they gain control of the ship and they see the crew is apparently dead from old age. <laughs> uh, I think Riker says looks like they had a battle with time and lost. I laughed. I thought of you, Jonathan, when they said that. <laughs> I was like, Jonathan's going, no, it's a time episode. Well, what the, what? That's my question. That's my question. When we first see them old there, uh, what were you guys' theories when we first saw that? I mean, I know we've seen this episode plenty of times, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, like, did they hit some uh, time pocket or something and couldn't get out? Or it, it's, it's, that's where my mind was going when I first saw that they had aged. Or going into it looking, I mean, you know, first they kind of show the captain they're dead and like they don't really explain what they're like, what they're reading or anything. So my immediate like initially, I just thought he's just an old captain. (laughs) (laughs) But then it just kind of I don't know, it's kind of like the setup of it. Any other time, any other time. The first order of business, Captain would have said, number one, former away team and go find out what's going on. Yes. The reason because they did not do that, that led me to believe it was setting the episode up for some kind of virus or something on the ship. So I I don't I don't think time travel really occurred to me immediately. That, Hmm. my friend, is why they call you the star Trek historian or the however they however Clarence says it because that's good I did not pick that up yeah I didn't either to be be honest well again it's just because I'm going through it I'm going through the season again and it just seems like that's like I feel bad for Riker because like they get to something and they have no idea what's going on and his first thing is Riker forming a weight team I'm like man you're sending him to his death over and over again yeah and it, <laughs> So, I mean, they start to investigate. Riker informs the crew that the last port of call for the Landry was the Darwin Genetic Research Station on Gagarin 4. Other than that, the only real sign of sickness we had was a Thelosian flu by a single crew member. So I want to get into a little bit about the genetics slash eugenics. Why would Starfleet still... And I'm assuming this is a Starfleet facility. I guess I don't know that for sure. But but why would there still be there? Why would it be allowed for a genetic facility like this to exist, knowing all we know about the eugenics wars, World War Three and and that genetic augmentation is outlawed? Question mark. Like, shit, this not exist. Hmm. I, I, I mean, I think it's kind of like. You know, there are certain medical procedures that shouldn't exist now in our current current world, but you can still go to places and get it done. And I mean, it just kind of depends. Like, I don't know that it is a Federation outpost, but I don't know that they're being monitored that closely. It feels like a huge discrepancy for them to allow something like this to take place, especially when we get to 
more in depth to the story and we feel we find out what they're actually doing there, which it just feels like totally counter to everything we know about the eugenics wars and everything. I mean, just just to skip ahead, we found out they're creating humans. A new telepathic race is what they've been doing <laughs> on this freaking planet. What? Yeah. And the fact that Picard and Pulaski didn't really seem too shocked about that happening. Oh, that's another thing. Oh, they weren't shocked about it. I mean, they didn't express in the episode that they were shocked or appalled by it happening. And also this freaking lying Dr. King Kingsley um, that is running the, the, the research facility on the planet. She's just lying to them the whole time and they never really take her to task about it. I just, it, it just mm. felt weird. So let me ask this question. Look, I mean, and obviously there's a canon issue regardless if this is fact or not. Uh, I mean, do we know of the eugenic wars at this point? Was it mentioned up until season three of TNG? Well, we know about Khan and TOS. We know about, I mean, World War Three is mentioned in the first episode by Q. He like changes into that uniform. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't know all the details that we know now, but I think we still know all of that happened. I mean, Khan, I mean, Khan is the perfect example. I think when did Rathacon come out? 80, early 80s? I think it came out before this episode did, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely before this episode. But I mean, if you go... I mean, watching Enterprise, which came out last, but they, I mean, in canon, they said before TOS, I mean, they kind of explore that whole thing when they were, when soon created a genetically modified group of kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I mean, maybe it's just a canon hole, but I mean, you still see, again, when we get to Bashir, when I said it ties in, I mean, there's genetic modifications in that episode too. Yes. And this certainly illegal in that episode too <laughs> right <laughs> but see think of it too got to factor in and this is you know some of the things that we've said going back and reviewing old episodes of doctor who on discussing who which is they weren't looking at canon per se the way we look at canon with 2020 hindsight or 2021 no pun intended hindsight of all this lore that's been around this is season two of trying to reinterpret Star Trek and say, ooh, are we going to last longer than three seasons like the first did? Yeah. So maybe right. the writers weren't looking so much into the lore than they were into the story. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that might no, could be. No, I mean, you're 100%. And, and, and honestly, we did have these bits and pieces of connective tissue that they should have been aware of when writing this. And maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it's perfectly fine. I don't know. <laughs> but but um, we have these bits and pieces that have been extrapolated out more since that we get a more full picture of what actually happened. Uh, uh, certainly. So, you know, I don't blame them too much. Like you said, Kyle, just a second season of this revamping of Star Trek on television. So I can give them a pass here, but it still seems like a gaping hole <laughs> that they missed. <laughs> but for someone who doesn't have as an in-depth knowledge of the lore as you guys have, from my perspective, it didn't harm the episode for me because what I don't know, I don't know, you know? Yeah. And it didn't really harm the episode for me, even thinking about that. I mean, I just, I kind of took it for what it was, which in going, watching TNG, it's kind of, I mean, there's no really discernible timeline in TNG other than like the progression of Wesley Crusher and uh, like the progression of Data's character. Other than that, like it's not, isn't doesn't really seem to be a continuation of a timeline. Like it just kind of jumps around anyway. So it just kind of make, it doesn't really put you in a frame of mind. Like, are we, where are we in Canon or where are we in Star Trek time? You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. Hey man, Jordy grew a beard, man. Time did progress. Let's get that right, okay? <laughs> and Worf changed. The look of Worf changed. Yeah. Yes, uh, he did. From, from second, first to second season, like, Jordy and Worf both changed uh, roles on the ship. Um, but, yeah, um, and let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, and we mentioned this up top, but Pulaski bumping heads with the captain. You know, Troy insinuates that the two are just too similar, which... 
honestly, I didn't feel that at all. I just feel like Pulaski is just rude. I mean, uh, Picard even mentions, are you going to let me finish a, a daggone sentence? <laughs> you know, because he keeps cutting them off. <laughs> uh, what, what do you guys thought? I didn't feel like they were similar. I just, again, we talked about it. But I just feel like Pulaski is just rude. And that's your freaking captain, dude. I, I do feel like maybe they were a bit similar and like they're both very strong willed in their opinions and their thoughts, which I think Picard probably has a more reign on it just because of his culture and how and just the type of person he is. Uh, but the biggest problem I see is Pulaski just forgot that he outranks her. Yeah. Like that, that's the biggest problem. And I think Picard, I think Picard's biggest problem, I think he actually realizes that maybe she's, you know, he, he would be acting the same way, except he's like, I get it, but I still outrank you. Well, you know, I think, you know, and I agree with you, Jonathan, I think it is the realization where two people, two characters come to the point of understanding. And, and I think that's what Deanna was showing her. It's, you you get wrapped up in me versus them simply because I want my point, they want their point. But when you step back for a moment and realize I'm just as bullheaded as this person's bullheaded. And when you get to that realization, that's the moment where she walks in and gets what she wants because he's acknowledging at the same time she's, you see what I'm saying? So I think that was a shift in the episode where they both seemingly in that same scene come to this turning point where she's expecting him to say no. He's saying, look, I understand you're trying to do what I ask you to do. You're putting forth an effort, so therefore I'm granting what you want to do. And I think that was a turning point for the two for the two characters. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And in this case, I think she really goes a bit deeper into doing what she's supposed to do. And when I say that, I mean, in the fact that he told her, no, we can't do this on the ship. In, in, I think it was Jordy or Data. Well, I can't remember which, but just explains like every system is connected. We can't, you know, let down this, this, this um, carbonite, for, not carbonite. I forgot what they called it. <laughs> force field off of this guy on the ship. And she, it's so driven by her, mission for medicine that she's like, okay, let me find an alternative, which when I think she does that, that's the point where I get on board with her because she thinks outside of the box in order to do what she thinks needs to be done. Now, actually lowering that force field on the, the, the child, I'm holding quotes here. Was that a good idea? <laughs> I have to question her judgment there. Honestly, I mean, we know what this does and she really has no information to tell her that this would not affect her. But at first she's willing to do it on a ship. And then obviously we go to the shuttle and she, she lets this, this force field down. I just, I, I kind of have to question her, question her logic there. I mean, of course she's driven to solve the problem as a doctor. I get that, but I just feel like, uh, it's okay, not smart. So- so, well, let me disagree with you. So, and that doesn't happen often, but let me disagree with oh, you. Oh, do tell. I, if you look at it from her perspective, she's a doctor. So they're under the Hippocratic Oath and she is there to save lives. And you know, as every moment passes, that these people on the planet are steadily aging quicker and quicker and quicker as you know time goes by. So she's literally, the clock is ticking, a ticking time bomb, literally, for these people. So you've got all of your tests that you've run that says that there's nothing that, you know, nothing in your testing that you've been able to do has negative results. You've got this scientist. Now, whether she should have believed or not, she chose to believe, but you've got the scientist on the planet saying, you know, there's nothing in the children. The children are safe. They've been quarantined, et cetera, and so, so forth. So if you look at it from her perspective as I am here to save lives, I took an oath to save lives. I've got this set of data. I've got this scientist saying this. My only other alternative 
to see if this is, is to create an environment, expose myself, and if I'm not exposed, then we can bring the children. I think she saw that as the only alternative to possibly save lives. Yeah. Hmm. So I took a different approach. Uh, I feel like this was more of a selfish curiosity. So you remember when Pulaski was on the bridge and they were talking with uh, the station, uh, Darwin Station, and the lady, she introduced herself as Dr. Pulaski. The lady immediately recognized her as the person that wrote the wrote a book, which yeah. is a very important book on genetic engineering. And that particular lady basically said, I've modeled my life after you in so many words. And once I think Pulaski found out what she was doing, I think she was more curious about the genetic engineering than solving the disease. Like, I, I think that whole she was it just took a little bit to convince her that this child did not carry the virus. So that was enough for her to say, well, I just want to study it to see what genetic engineering they've done. Yeah. And and and, and for me, I mean, I guess it's kind of in between for me because I feel like a little bit of both of what you guys said. I do feel like her curiosity to see what was actually going on, maybe outward outweighed her logic. But you know, again, for the second week in a row, we have another episode about this a, a virus, and it just reminded me of 2020. And you have essential workers who go in to situations they're not 100% sure are safe. Now, going in a situation you're not sure you're, is safe versus uh, intentionally letting the guards down on something that you think is, could expose you is two totally different things. And Again, like I'm trying to weigh her curiosity versus the real um, ambition to save these people, which I think she did want. But it just felt a little slightly reckless <laughs> in a way to me. And I really don't know if there's any other way she could have determined such. Um, but but seems like um, I don't know. Seems like she she checked all the boxes to get to that point. It just I don't know. The captain agreed with it. So I guess I have to agree with it, too. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe he felt just as you just like you just said, there was really no other way. Like, uh, I mean, we brought him encased in the uh, sterilite hand in a force field and the scans didn't prove anything. Like, where do you go from there? Like there's there's really there was only one other option and she presented him with it and she was willing. Which, again, I have to go back to Dr. Kingsley on the uh, research station. She just. I'm, we're beaming over a 12 year old. Then they get what looks like a to be, you know, a, a almost grown dude. If that is a 12 year old, I would hate to see when he reaches puberty. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and not only that, I feel like the Dr. Kingsley was so um, I guess she I guess they did a good job in this episode of showing what being into your work to the extreme is. Because I feel like Dr. Kingsley is so really into her work at the extreme level to where she either ignores or just failed to see that this genetically engineered kids were actually causing the problem. To me, it's so obvious. I mean, I'm sure to you guys it was kind of obvious as well, but she just never leads, leads on that she thought that could have been the issue, which I was like, <laughs> really? They need, to, they need to shoot her out of airlock because she's horrible. And even to the fact that they never mentioned this, which I thought would have been a good tie in to the cause of the virus. But I mean, you're looking at a 12 year old that looks 30. Yeah. And you're dealing with an aging, a rapidly aging virus like, hmm, maybe we have something here, people. I don't know. You know, Yeah. Mm. the yeah. thing that got me was when she gets on the call with Pulaski and is like, I demand you do this. I'm like, yeah. Really? And, and 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 again, this is another thing that mir mirrors Miri, which that was all about aging as as well. So I found that very interesting. Um, so we, we come up with a cure, we figure out that maybe we could use the transporters to fix this thing. I found it just a weird beyond measure that Pulaski has never used a transporter. I just found it almost impossible. I mean, this is not the early days of Starfleet. <laughs> what? <laughs> And then they make a big mm. deal out of trying to find her transporter pattern to be able to reverse this uh, gene, which. <sighs> so I 
think that was just a, a, a script set up to explore why Pulaski ended up on Enterprise. So, you know, the, at the start of the episode is, you know, Picard doubting Pulaski and like, I mean, kind of saying, wait, he doesn't want her there or want to get rid of her because of her attitude. And maybe it's toward him. He's kind of feeling personally attacked from her. Yeah. But, you know, that conversation with the captain of the other ship, I forget the name of it. Uh, You know, the captain revealed because he asked the captain, if she's so good, why did you let her go? And he said, the moment your transfer became available, she jumped on it. She studied your work forever, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I think that, that was just a That had to make him feel good, get, didn't it? What is <laughs> right. Isn't there a saying that is something to the effect, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say this wrong, but it's basically don't ask to meet your idols because you will always be disappointed. And what I mean by that is that person that you've created in your head is not the person that that person truly is. And I think that was some of the growing pains those two had. She had this ideal Jean-Luc Picard in her head that didn't exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but still awesome to see that she kind of came in as a, a fangirl of Picard's. I thought that was really, really nice touch in this episode. <laughs> Um, so we found out that once a station or this station would have been quarantined forever. I was like, woof. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, I guess it would have to be, but it really, sh- it still should be quarantined forever because we should never let these genetic kids leave this facility. <laughs> They're going to infect right. everybody. I mean, they didn't really find a cure. They just found out, well, I guess if you want to call the transporter buffer a uh, cure, but they really don't know how to just inject somebody to keep them from, you know, using their powerful antibodies to uh, <laughs> rewrite every virus known to man, you know, but interesting mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, I, I I really like it when they use the, the transporter to um, as a means to fix an issue. I was recently watching the TNG episode and I forget the name of the episode, but it's the one where. Uh, Barkley sees something in the transporters and before that he's like scared of transporters so I always find it interesting when people who are scared of transporters have to deal with their demons <laughs> in order to be saved or you know save the day it's, it's really good stuff also you get to see a lot of this because it's a transporter we see a lot of uh, Chief O'Brien yes he was awesome <laughs> he was it was so cool how I guess because it was potentially a a move that could have killed Pulaski, Picard is like, okay, let me take the controls. And then you have O'Brien that goes over here on his secondary console and like, you know, is coaching him along. I thought that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, I don't have anything else. Do we have anything else we want to talk about from this episode that I may have that I may have missed or that we want to reiterate uh before we kind of wrap this thing up? I do want to touch back on my synopsis real quick and kind of explain it, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. All right. So reading it again really, really quick. Perception is such a tricky thing. Light bulb moment you see shedding a light on the truth. Since a doctor is not the, the absence of one surpassed the presence of any and another. So basically, I had to throw in a Doctor Who reference, meaning the doctor all doctor is the same doctor, so it really doesn't matter who plays the role. But mm. since this is a doctor, the absence of one, meaning Crusher, surpassed the presence of any or another, meaning it didn't matter if it was Pulaski or if it wasn't Pulaski. It could have been somebody. It could have been Bashir. It could have been anybody. The fact that it wasn't Crusher, I was determined not to like her. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's my point. And I think that's kind of a reason why most people didn't like her. Indeed. Even though I was never a big fan of Crusher, she's probably still one of my least favorite doctors above Pulaski. But <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to rank these doctors um, once we get to the end. We may do it uh, a style where everybody gets their doctor and we kind of hammer it out in a bracket style. I don't know. I'm I'm still workshopping that. (laughs) But with that said, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I will begin. I'm going to rank this one around a 3.6. 3.6. I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked all of the 
Uh, more information we got about Pulaski, um, you know, I, I, I'm becoming to appreciate this portrayal by, by Diana Mulder. So, um, yeah, 3.6 didn't love, but I do feel like he gave us some more about this character. And I, I think this is considered like her quintessential uh, episode. So what, what, do, what do you guys think? What about you, uh, Cal? You know what? I'm going to give it the classic 4.2. I liked the premise. I enjoyed the episode. I did not get bored. And I saw Pulaski in a new light. So 4.2 for me. Awesome. What about you, John? Uh, I'm going to give it an even four. And I'm going to kind of agree with Cal. It kind of gave you a different vision of Pulaski. and kind of made me appreciate her a little bit more. That being said, my only downfalls of the episode was there was a problem with explaining why the genetic engineering wasn't a problem. And to me, I just, it kind of left, and you guys just mentioned it, it left it open on like the solve of this. Like you said, the transporter fixed the people, but like we didn't solve the virus and they just leaving a crew on the planet with these genetically engineered people in the hopes that they figure something out. So yeah, I kind of had an issue with that. Shouldn't we torch the planet? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no. I mean, we we always saw the uh the the ship um get get blown up, which I thought was a good moment. The Lantry, uh, I thought that was a pretty oh, yeah, interesting yeah, moment. Yeah. yeah, man. All right, mm. well, let's go for parting gifts and let's see what everybody has been working on, watching or listening to podcast related or otherwise. And again, we will go to you, Cal. All right. So I will tell everyone if you enjoy audio. F- comedy, I would suggest you check out the Oz9 podcast, and it just finished season three, episode 60, and features myself as well as Lee Shackelford from Discussing Who. So, Oz9, which can be found at www.oz-9.com. Awesome. What about you, John? Uh, Well, as I've said many times, I'm watching TNG again, which is getting better and better as I go. Um, And also at the advice of you, sir, Clarence, I started watching For All Mankind. Yes. Yes. And it is freaking amazing. Yes. I told you. This is what I want to hear. To the point. Listen, to the point that my wife actually came in. I was watching episode three. And my wife sit down and started watching it. And she got really interested to the point. She said, don't watch this without me. Oh, yes. Yes. So. It is uh, so good, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Wow. That is good to hear, man. That is good to hear. The acting, the story, everything is bar nine. Awesome. Oh, man. I'm teasing. And I'm paying for Apple product. (laughs) (laughs) Which goes against your code. So. (laughs) Right. If you're doing that, it must be good. So that's Oz9 Podcast from Cal featuring Cal and Lee in the latest episode, episode 60. And Jonathan is 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 all about TNG and for all mankind. Um, good to hear. And for me, man, I will return a favor on you and Jeremy because I'm freaking loving freaking uh Cobra Kai. It's so freaking good. <laughs> Dude, I've watched all of the first season and I am eight episodes in the season two. I've just been binging the mess out of this thing. <laughs> it is so freaking good. Man, I told you, once you get further, you don't want to stop. You don't want to turn it off. Like, they end each episode yes. in a, such a great way. Like, it forces you to go into the next one. You just have to. Yeah, it's like, oh, no. And then Netflix, <laughs> you know, it just starts the next one. But, yeah. <laughs> but, man, for and, and I want to give kudos to the producers because for me, who I don't necessarily remember everything about Karate Kid. But they do such an excellent job of weaving in the 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 previous footage and tying the storylines directly into uh, the original Karate Kid. It's just so amazing and so good. And uh, Johnny, Johnny, I forget his last name. He's he's freaking amazing. He's, he's oh man, every every time he says badass, it makes me want to get up and start doing kicks or something. He's so good. Oh my god. I mean, I love him more than I love uh, da- uh, Daniel's son, uh, to be yeah. honest. It's just great that they use the original cast. That, that I think that made yeah. made it so so much better. 
And then the cliffhanger at the end of the first season, oh man, we're going to have to do a discussing comics as Cal suggested on it, but it's oh it's so good. But enough of me fanboying about <laughs> Cobra Kai. <laughs> Uh, we will end the episode and guys if you have any comments about this episode or any other episode we review you can send that into fans at discussingtrek.com as always thanks to Matthew for sending in feedback oh speaking of Matthew I don't mean to interrupt but I did see Matthew in person a few weeks ago and I said that I would give him a shout out on the show and we have not recorded anything since then well that I've remembered anyway hey Matthew Awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. Yeah. And again, like he's always writing in. I really appreciate him giving us feedback on on these episodes we've been covering, especially since he's a TOS aficionado. So he's always giving the deets on on a lot of that information as well as just real quick, something specifically. And we didn't bring it up, but I think we may have talked about it either before or after. But most of the children on Miri were children of the actors and production crew. William Shatner's and Gene Roddenberry's kids were in there somewhere. So that's an awesome tidbit. But yeah, uh, if you have feedback or stuff, again, you can send that in fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Thanks for joining, guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.